All right, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How about that worship this morning? Wasn't that great? Especially that last song written by our very own Justin Law. But I, I have a, a suggestion. I think that line should be changed to, it is proven your love is grooving. Right? It just had that funky beat to it, that good sound. Just a suggestion. So as, uh, as Pete mentioned, my name's Don Weber. I'm a member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning. Uh, along with my wife, Cindy, uh, we've been members here for about 20 years, and we've been recently joined by my mom, Regina Weber, who moved in with us this past September. And on a very personal note, I want to thank all of you. You've been very, very kind to my mother, and I really appreciate that. Um, last Sunday, Pastor Pete taught, was talking about how he and the leadership of River Heights Vineyard felt that God was calling us to focus our preaching over the next three years on how we together can accomplish our purpose as a church, which is to help a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world. And that we would ask ourselves over these next three years, what are the most helpful things we can do to see that purpose fulfilled here together. And I have the privilege of kicking off that three years today talking about a practice that has been at the core of who we are as a church and as a community right from the very beginning and has been very important in my life and in the lives of many, many people here. And to be honest, I think is one of the reasons that I'm even alive and able to speak to you today. And that practice is prayer. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I decided to do what you, you must do when you want to understand something. You ask the Googles, right? So I asked the Googles, what is prayer? And this is what they told me. Prayer is an invocation, supplication, or intercession that seeks to activate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication. We are not using that one. We're going to use this one instead. Prayer is having a conversation with God. Right? It's just that simple. But simple doesn't always mean easy, and it certainly does not mean unimportant. Prayer was incredibly important to Jesus and to his followers, the ones who, the ones who carried on his mission and his purpose after him, like we together as a community are invited to do. And we're going to read a story from Jesus' life that makes that point. But before we do, why don't we all have a conversation with God? What do you say? Please join me. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to join together as brothers and sisters, to worship you, to love you, to love each other, and, and to change our world. God, we pray that you will be with us here today. You will bless us with your presence, Lord. And we pray for all the churches throughout Invergrove Heights. And Lavinia, Lord, that you will be with them too and bless them as they all seek to honor you today. Amen. So let's take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, the very first verse. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And I think there's an overlooked important point in this very first verse here, and that is, if you searched all four of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life in the Bible, you'd be hard-pressed to find any other place where the disciples say to him, 
teach us to do that. So by this point in the story, they've been with him for give or take two years. With him 24-7, ate, drank, and slept with him. And they have seen him heal hundreds, perhaps thousands of people throughout that time of a variety of, of diseases and conditions. They've seen him raise people from the dead more than once. And he has touched people over and over again. He has calmed thunderstorms with just a word from his lips. But in none of those circumstances do the, does the Bible ever record them saying to him, hey, show us how to do that. Now, don't you think that when not once but twice he has fed nearly 10,000 people from a little boy's lunchbox, one of them would have come running up to him and said, hey, hey, Lord, teach, teach me how to do that. Teach me how to make food that way. We could open an all-you-can-eat buffet. We would make a fortune, right? But they never do that. Nobody ever does that. Through that and so much more that they've seen him do, not a word, until they see him pray, which he often did, sometimes alone, sometimes with others, often for others. He did it a lot. And when his followers saw it, that's the thing that made them say, we need to learn to do that. That's important. And he starts with a prayer that most of us know of as the Our Father. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that prayer, except with just to take a look at the first two words, our Father. Now, in the Old Testament, which makes up about two-thirds of the Bible, God was referred to as Father about 15 times. But in the New Testament, the last third of the Bible, after Jesus teaches them this prayer, God is referred to as Father over 140 times. And what he was trying to tell them and wants to teach us today is that when we go to God in prayer, we're not going to some far-off, distant, disconnected deity. And we're not appealing to a heartless, cold, unfeeling dictator. We go as dearly loved children to our loving dad. That's who we are approaching in prayer. Now, your dad may have been a wonderful dad, this dad is even better. And your dad may have been an awful dad. Maybe he treated you poorly. Or maybe you never knew him, knew him at all. This dad, he's the dad you always dreamed of having. One who always has time for you. One who can't wait to hear what you have to say. A dad who is kind and gentle and patient and just wants to spend time with you. He's a dad who cherishes every moment he can spend with you. That's the dad we are having a conversation with when we pray. Now, sometimes we go and we ask for things like we do our earthly dads, right? And sometimes we just thank him and praise him for what he's done. Sometimes we just sit and listen to what he has to say. And then there's the times that we say nothing and the two of us sit in silence together just enjoying each other's company. That's what prayer is like. And then Jesus went on and told his disciples this story to further teach them about prayer. And we pick it up again in verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, 
friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my family's in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now in Jesus' day, hospitality was essential. To not feed this visitor if he's hungry would insult the entire community. It would be a community embarrassment, sort of like wearing socks with sandals. (laughs) Say amen, somebody. Right. But he doesn't have any food, and so he goes next door to his neighbor, starts pounding on his door in the middle of the night. But his neighbor isn't having it, doesn't seem to care whether or not it's a community insult, and he tells the guy to get lost. Now, it's really important to understand what he is pounding on his neighbor's door to get. It says three loaves of bread, but that wouldn't be what we think of as loaves of bread, you know, 20 slices in a bag. This would be more like a little round loaf, roughly the size of your hand, maybe a little bigger. So what this guy is bugging his neighbor for is three pieces of toast, Now, let me tell you, you come knocking on my door in the middle of the night when I'm sound asleep because you're out of toast. If I answer the door at all, I'm probably going to say, go to sleep if you're hungry. Leave me alone. I got nothing for you. But this guy eventually gives in and he gets his neighbor all he needs. And this is why we read in verse 8. Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word persistence, that's the key. And in the original language, it was sort of this two-part word, and it meant shameless audacity or without respect. And it reminds me of a verse in the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 64, that I wonder if Jesus didn't take this parable from. Reading in chapter 62, now remember, this is God talking, this is God himself speaking. He says, I have posted watchers on your walls. That's us. We're the watchers. We're the guards on the walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all of you who pray to the Lord, and give the Lord no rest until he finishes his work. Give the Lord no rest. Shameless audacity. Without respect. Is Jesus really telling us that that's what prayer looks like? That we are supposed to pound on our heavenly dad's door shamelessly, without respect, night and day, even for something as trivial as a midnight snack? Yeah. That is exactly what he's saying. Now, this is not the way I would teach prayer. It's not the way we teach prayer here at River Heights. It's not the way anybody teaches prayer, except for Jesus. Right? Now, if that makes you a little uncomfortable, I get it. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable, too. And I'm certain it made his original audience very uncomfortable when they said it. It would have been scandalous for Jesus to teach them to pray this way. But at the same time, I'm certain he is not saying that we have to wear God down until he throws up his hands, gives us us what we want and says, 
now leave me alone, go away. Jesus teaches us to be persistent in prayer because persistent prayer changes things. It changes us, it changes our circumstances, it changes the people that we pray for. Notice that the man in our story is not bugging his neighbor because he's hungry. He's doing it because somebody he cares about is in need and he considers it a small price to pay to make sure that his friend is fed. Now this particular story means a lot to me personally because someone prayed like this for me for a long, long time and it changed my life. I'd like to tell you a bit of my story today, but in order to do that, I have to tell you some things about my dad that may cause you to form a pretty poor opinion of him. Please don't do that. I don't want that. My dad passed away in 2016, and when he died, he was not at all the man that I'm about to describe to you this morning. He was my friend. Jesus had healed him, had healed us both, but it wasn't always that way. My dad was very angry when I was a kid, and you never knew what might set him off. The slightest thing, a word, the clothes I wore, anything at all could get me a spanking, sometimes with his belt, maybe a hard slap across the face. And this was when I was small, elementary school. And he could say the cruelest thing sometimes, which he often did. I always felt like there was nothing that I could do or say to make him happy or to keep myself safe. Now, I'm the youngest of five, and as we grew older and each one of my siblings left the house, it seemed like more and more I became the focus of his rage until at 14 years old, he began to hit me with his fists. Now, my old man was a boxer in the Marine Corps. He could throw a punch, which he did quite a bit. Now, we had good moments as a family. We did have good times. But as I got older, I felt his anger and his rage bubbling up in me. And I began to hate him and come up with plans to kill him. And one day when I was 18, I almost did. He and I got into an argument. And he pushed me up against the wall and started to choke me. Well, I was an 18-year-old kid. I'd never fought back. And I realized that I was actually stronger than he was. So I pushed him away. Well, he picked up a glass vase and swung it at my head, and I put my hand up to stop it, and it broke on my hand and sliced my hand open. And when I saw the blood, I just became enraged, and I lost it. I attacked him. I took him to the ground, and I began to choke him, determined to kill him. But I didn't. Something stopped me that day. I got in my car, and I left. And then I did what any guy my age would do who was sick of being pushed around, who'd had enough of being told what to do all the time, was tired of rules and regulations. I went out and joined the Marines. <laughs> I know, made sense at the time, right? Now, I found a home in the Marines. I love the Marine Corps. And the Marines changed me a lot, as you can see. I know the shock probably for most of you is the hair, right? <laughs> that I even had some. But I love the Marines. When I finished boot camp, I was selected by the drill instructors and my commanders as the top graduate in my company of 500 Marines. The fitness, the combat training, the camaraderie, 
all of it. I ate it up, and I climbed up the ranks very quickly. Well, that lasted for about two years because I was really good at a couple of other things the Marines are well known for, drinking and fighting, both of which I did a lot of. And I became a bully, and I began to hurt people, and I hurt some real badly. And I started to get into trouble until one day a Marine buddy and I got drunk and we stole a car and we were caught by the police and I was charged with grand theft auto and looking at a 10-year prison sentence. And I prayed sometimes back then, but mostly my prayers to God were, leave me alone. Because no matter how drunk I got or what kind of shape I was in, I could always hear his voice in the back of my head saying, I love you. I care about you. I'm here for you and I always will be. But I didn't want to hear it because I was sure there's no way I was ever going to be able to do that. I couldn't be a Christian. It just wasn't going to happen for me. I was a loser. I was a failure and I always was going to be. But still, he kept calling. Still, he kept talking to me. And I believe there's two reasons why he did that. One, because he loves me desperately, just like he loves you and cares about you. And the other is because my mom and dad would not stop praying for me, especially my mom. She kept pounding on God's door. Boy, she's sitting right here, and I didn't realize this was going to be as tough as it is. My mom kept pounding on God's door, pleading with him to rescue her son. My parents even drove from Houston to North Carolina to visit me in jail, which was horrible for me. That was a low point in my life. And they prayed with me there, and I noticed that they had changed, especially my dad. They never shamed me or criticized me or said a bad word to me. I had family members send me letters telling me that God would have nothing to do with me and that I was going to burn in hell for eternity. But my parents never did anything like that. They just cared for me and helped me in every way they could, especially prayer, especially my mom. And when my trial came around, which was in a civilian court, for some reason, the arresting officer didn't show up. And so my felony was reduced to a misdemeanor. And instead of 10 years in prison, I got 90 days in jail. Now, I'd like to say that when I experienced what I can only describe as a miracle, I turned my life over to Jesus and never looked back. But I didn't. I know you've probably heard stories of folks here in this church who had these night and day difference. One day they were terrible, awful people. Jesus saved them and boom, they completely changed. It's not my story. My story has been a blood, sweat, and tears journey of faith. It's taken a long time and it's been hard. Seeing me up here is nothing short of a miracle. I didn't just turn my life around. It would take another 20 years. When I got out of jail, I went right to the bar and got drunk with my friends. It would be 20 years before I gave my life over to Jesus. More arrests, a divorce, a lot of trouble before I invited him, invited him in. But through it all, my mother prayed and she prayed sometimes with tremendous faith, certain that God would come through, sometimes with no faith at all, just as certain that nothing was ever going to change, that I was never going to change. 
and still she prayed. And a lot was changing, though she couldn't see it. See, it wasn't God that needed to be worn down by persistent prayer. It was me. It was me. And as my mom pounded on God's door over and over again, kept praying for me, little by little, over time, my heart began to soften. Without even knowing it, I was forgiving my dad. And the hate and the anger were slowly fading away. I was healing. And my mom was blessed too. Her relationship with Jesus grew deeper and stronger as his love moved in her and through her to people all around her, touching, blessing, and healing them. And it's still happening today through her life and through my life and through the many, many people that she has blessed in no small part because she persisted in prayer, because she wouldn't give up. Let me tell you, if you got a little old lady praying for you right now, you might as well give up because she will not shut up. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're asking the question, what are the most helpful things we can do to see our purpose fulfilled? And prayer checks all three boxes of our purpose. We're loving God by spending time with Him, talking with Him, and growing in our relationship with Him. We're loving people by interceding with God on their behalf. And if it can do for others what it did for me, it will most certainly change the world. And don't you think that would be a small price for us to pay as a community and a worthy investment if together with God's Holy Spirit we could have that kind of impact on the world around us. In prayer, we can. Together, we can. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now as we close this part of our service. And I'd like to invite you to stand with me as you're able. And if you're on the prayer team, could you begin to make your way forward right now? As you may know, we typically end our services each Sunday, our messages each Sunday, with three practical tips to help us put the message into practice in our lives. The order is usually something to read, something to pray, and something to do, but I'm going to put the pray at the end because it's sort of a do too, right? Praise a do. You'll get it. Uh, tip number one, read Luke 11 verses 1 to 13. Now I stopped at verse 8. But Jesus' message on prayer goes all the way through to verse 13. And I think it's one of the clearest and simplest lessons teaches, Jesus teaches in all of the Gospels. I think you'll find it to be very practical and somewhat easy to understand. Tip number two, ask yourself, who in my life really needs prayer? Now this one you can answer in a lot of different ways. You can be very flexible, adjust it any way you want to. For example, your answer might be me. I do. I'm the one in my life that really needs prayer. Now, there are many, many places in the Bible where Jesus encourages, where, where God encourages us to pray for ourselves. So if that's your answer, don't shy away from it. It's okay. It's just as good an answer as any. 
for you? Perhaps for you, it's more of a what or a where for you. You might feel like our church really needs your prayers right now. Or maybe it's our community, our country, the world, right? The needs are really endless. Or perhaps you have a particular someone in your family at work or here at church. Now, one good way to answer this question, who needs prayer, is to ask yourself, what do I worry about a lot? Think about what you worry about throughout your day or your week. Or what is it you talk about, your fam- talk about with your family or your friends? That's a great way to figure out where to concentrate your prayer. And tip number three, commit to praying for that person, that place, that situation. I'm going to give you three different ways you can do that. There are a lot of them. There are many more, but I'm just going to give you three. First one is come forward for prayer on a Sunday morning. As many of you know, we offer prayer each Sunday after our services for anybody and any need you might have. Whether you're here for the first time or maybe the last time or you've been coming here for years. We would love to pray for you. The people up front have all been trained in prayer. They will be completely respectful and confidential. Our goal is to love you and to serve you. And our hope is that you will feel loved and served by us and that you will meet God in these moments as we pray with you. Now, if you're new to prayer, you may find it's a simple way to learn how to pray for others for yourself, for that situation in your life, because it's rather a small commitment. Just come up each Sunday, once a week, a couple of minutes. That's all it takes. But we've seen God do great things in these small moments, which is why we continue to do it year after year. I don't know about you, but I never come to church when I don't have something in my life that really needs God's help. Besides, how many times do you get the chance to check off one of the tips before you even walk out the door? I mean, you're a third done with your homework. How good is that? Another thing you might do is find someone to pray with. Even Jesus, who sometimes prayed alone, also prayed with other people. And he started his model prayer with our Father, making it clear that he also wants us to pray together. If you've ever been part of a book club or a gym or you've been part of a team at school or at work you know how valuable it can be and how motivating it can be when somebody else is expecting you to show up or is there to kind of nudge you when you're struggling when you're having a difficult time with it prayer can be like that too it enlists somebody else in your journey and helps you make your way and you heard in the announcements today that today is the start of our sign-up for our spring life groups. That's a great way to learn how to pray with and for people. I really recommend you sign up. That's where real church happens in our life groups. And finally, set aside a specific time each day to pray. This one, of course, is a little harder. It, It requires you to carve out a little block of time in your very busy schedule. But you'll find that over time, as the habit develops, you'll build some momentum and it will get easier. Eventually, it will become part of your routine and you'll find you can't live without it. 
Now, praying is just like riding a bike, right? You fall off, you just get right back up. So if you miss a day, a week, a month, don't worry about it. Just pick up where you left off. There's no rules here. Just relationship. Just conversation with God. My wife Cindy, from time to time, once a year, will go with her sisters on vacation to Florida. It takes about a week. Now, when she's there, we don't talk every day. We might skip two or three days. I just let her do her thing, you know. But at no point in that two or three days does either one of us say, well, we haven't spoke for two or three days. We might as well never talk again. Right? God doesn't do that either. He doesn't hear for you, from you for a day, a week, a month. It doesn't matter. Just pick up where you left off. Do the best you can. That's all he asks. We're going to close our service now with the two most important things we do every Sunday. That's worship and prayer. I encourage you again, please come forward for prayer for any need you might have. Courtney's going to lead us in a few more songs and dismiss us shortly. I'll be right outside the double doors there. Love to say hello. God bless you. Have a great day.